Today, uh, the scripture reading is going to be from our psalm for today. It's going to be Psalm 85. But Lord, you showed favor for your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquities of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your, fire, from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasures towards us. Will you be angry for us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, though your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what the Lord our God says. He promised peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, and his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give us what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteous goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for today. God, we thank you for the ability to come, Lord, into your presence and into your house, Jesus. We thank you, God, just for what you're doing here at Faith, for how you're working, Lord, how you continue to work here. Lord, we just pray that as we go on today and through this service, Lord, that we remember who you are and what you're doing in our lives and what you want to do through us, God. Lord, I just pray that the baggage and, and the, the stuff of this world, Lord, that we check it at the door and that we just come with our hearts and our minds open to you, open to what you're going to say to us today, God. Lord, let us worship you with reckless abandonment, Lord, just fully seeking you and fully just chasing after you, God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are in us and what you're doing through us, God. Continue to work in this church, God. Lord, we're crying out to, to see a glimpse of you today. So, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. John, chapter 16, and I'll begin reading at verse 5. <clears throat> John chapter 16, verse 5, talking about the Comforter. Beginning reading in verse number 5, the Bible says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let's be clear about something right here. The Helper is a, is a word that Jesus uses specifically for the Holy Spirit. You'll find that he uses several different kinds of words. He will <clears throat> call them the Counselor, the Helper. And, uh, and I just want you to understand that that's who we're talking about here at this point. Verse number eight, when he comes, and I put these on the screen for you, and I underlined them because, mainly because, look, when you're doing Bible study on your own, this is something that I want you to really take note of. <clears throat> when you're reading a section of scripture, and you see a repeated thing happening 
he, him, all of these things, and I've underlined them in this thing. That is a good time to just really become alert. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? There's something pretty important here <coughs> that I need to pay attention to, that I need to understand. A good, for instance, of this is found also in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, prophet Ezekiel chapter 37, there's about, uh, there's somewhere around 17 verses, and in that stretch of 17 verses, it talks about the breath of God, the Spirit of God, 17 times. <clears throat> and when you encounter that, you say, hey, something big's here, something's important here, something I need to, I need to really make sure I'm going slow enough to, to really be able to grasp what God is wanting to say. So in verse 8, when he, <clears throat> when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world <clears throat> is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you unto all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, he will make of mine, and declare to you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Important things that Jesus is speaking about here to his disciples, and I believe the message is, is strong to us today. It has not lost its strength over the 2,000 years since this occurred. Back in the days of King Solomon, <clears throat> in the days of King Solomon, books were written by hand. There was no such thing as movable type. There was no such thing as presses. If you were going to write a book, you literally wrote a book. You did it by hand. They were copied by hand. All of these other things. <clears throat> Thank you. Actually, we got some there, but I appreciate this. You know, I tell you what, folks, hay fever has really nailed me. Last couple of weeks, I've just been hammered on this. And, you know, trying to speak and have one of those in your mouth is really, because sooner or later, I'll spit it out and I'll hit Lance. <laughs> But Solomon said, interestingly, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 12, he said, the writing of many books is endless. <clears throat> and I always thought that's kind of interesting since this is a time when writing a book is a difficult thing to do. And it, <clears throat> and it had to be done by hand. Solomon never saw the time. Solomon didn't know. But in our era of high-speed printing, we now have the capability Instead of a trickle of books a year, we can publish these books by the tens of thousands per week. We have millions of Christian books that are available, and yet I want you to understand something. This book, this book literally stands totally alone. You can line up all the Christian books. You can fill this room to the rafters with Christian books, and you can take this book and put it right here and it stands alone. There is absolutely nothing 
that even compares to it, that comes close to it. This is the word of God. This is God's voice that speaks to you, that speaks to me. This word is infused with the power of God and the authority of God. This word right here is infallible. It is inerrant. It is the rule of faith and conduct for our lives. This is the word of God. This is the word. Now, critics delight <coughs> in trying to point out certain what they call potholes of inconsistencies, and yet, folks, the Bible is without fail. Anybody who is a serious student of the Bible can easily brush those, those so-called potholes off to the side, and they mean nothing. It was written over a period of some 1,600 years. Forty different authors wrote this, this incredible book, and these group of authors was as diverse as this congregation is today. My goodness sakes, we had people who were kings who were writing. We had priests who were writing. We had statesmen who were writing. We had farmers who wrote. We had fishermen who wrote. We had all kinds of people that were writing. They didn't all get collected in one room and in a section of the church here and said, Lady, let's go write the Bible. You write this and you write that and you try that and we'll all get together and see how it sounds. None of that was happening. And over 1,600 years, this book became the Word of God because it is in breathed. It is literally, Paul said in 2 Timothy, he said literally the breath of God is breathed upon these words. The reason I'm saying this is because I want us to understand what I'm going to speak about in the, <clears throat> dealing with the work and the power of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, it's not my idea. It's not some theologian that sits in a dark corner that dreams his stuff up. It's not public opinion. It is the word of God. We need to understand that. And we need to stand on that. Because that's very important. This message is only going to scratch a surface, a little bit of the surface of the work and the value of the Spirit's ministry, but it's a, it's a relevant message it's a message that so many people are attracted today by many things, and I want us to understand spiritual truth. I want us to understand that the things that we talk about this morning, dealing with the work of the Spirit of God, is something that you can apply to your life today, right now, in this service. God will help you to do that. This is always a question. How do I take the Spirit life and how does my contemporary life, or whatever that might, how can I merge these two together? And I want to be able to share a couple things today, somehow, that can show you these two can merge together. And they can join together. And when they do, they begin to affect your entire life. Friends, Christianity isn't something that we do for one hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, it is something that we do 24-7, every day of the week, every hour of every day. And that's because God is going to help us to merge the work and the power of God's Spirit into our daily lives. What we are on Sunday and the inspiration that we might have on Sunday and the power that God speaks to us on Sunday is the same thing that's available to us on Monday. 
and Tuesday and Wednesday and, and so forth throughout, <clears throat> throughout the week. And so we engage the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Let me talk, first of all, about the promise of God. In the last hours before the cross, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what is about to happen concerning his death, his resurrection, and even his eventual ascension into heaven. The idea that, that he was leaving them without a question was filling them with a, just an enormous grief. I think all along Jesus was trying to prepare them for what he was sent here to do by God. And yet now all of a sudden as they sit at that table, as they have shared the Last Supper together, as they've had the conversations among themselves together, they're beginning to realize Jesus is going. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't allow them to be afraid. Jesus begins that preparation work. This is some of the most intense passages of Scripture between John chapter 13 and John chapter 17 that you'll find in the entire Bible. It is absolutely loaded. It is loaded with vital, incredible spiritual truths. <clears throat> so Jesus said to John, uh, or John speaks of this and he talks about it from Jesus. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled. I want to read a passage from John chapter 14 and verse 16 that, that helps me as I begin to roll into chapter 16. The Bible says, I will pray the Father, listen very carefully, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you together. Now, <clears throat> when we study the word, we need to sometimes peel back some of, the, some of the rings on this thing and look at things and look at it underneath there. I want to break this down just for a moment with you. Very, very simple here. <clears throat> the word another here. Jesus said, I'm going to give you another helper. And that is a word that means exactly the same as me. Lance, stand. If you would, please. Let's stand right here. Here's Lance. This is me. <clears throat> Are we the same? No. There's a lot of difference between us. And we're not going to go walk into that, what those differences are at all. But there's a difference, right? There's a difference here. And, and, and Jack, if I ask you to, Jack, stand up here with me. Jack, stand up. Am I the same as Jack? I'm not even sure if we're the same size in many ways. <laughs> See, we're not the same, are we? We're not the same. You, you may be seated. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Lance. The point of it is, Jesus is saying here, and this is, this is what I want you to, I want you to, I want you to just seize on this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you another helper that's exactly like me. Mainly because he said, I'm going. I'm going back to the Father. I'm leaving. There's going to be in a couple days, actually in a few hours, there's going to be a crucifixion. There's going to be my death. There'll be a resurrection three days later. I'm going to ascend to heaven and all these things. But I'm not going to leave you 
comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as, as, as kids that, have, that are now homeless. He says, I'm sending another, another helper just like me. And then he describes this helper for us just a little bit. He says, this helper is not going to be just some kind of helper like, say, Pastor Lance is now sitting there and I'm up here and this isn't a helper that's just sitting over there and I'm up here slugging it out and trying to live for Christ in the world and helper sitting over there and, you know, yeah, I got a helper, but he's sitting over there. This is a helper and Jesus said, he's going to come right alongside you. Right alongside you. Not standing off, not sitting down, not over here uh, wandering around or anything like that. He's going to come right alongside you. Let me tell you something, folks. I hear this every once in a while. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's a force. Wrong. You're just dead wrong. I'm not... totally dead wrong, in fact. He is the, he is God, the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit. He's not the force. This isn't Star Wars, folks, where the force be with you. This is the force, the one who is the third person of the Trinity himself, and he's a helper, he's an encourager, he is a comforter, he is an intercessor, he is an advocate. Craig, when you pray, do you realize you, you're here in your prayer closet, you're here all alone, you're praying, and you, sometimes you say, does anybody hear me? Guess what? There is one who is hearing you. Not only the Father, but your advocate, your advocate, listen to me, your advocate, the the Holy Spirit is before the throne of grace. Craig is telling me this. He needs this, Father. We have an advocate before the Father. First <clears throat> John chapter 2 begins to explain that for us. So Jesus is saying, even though my departure is going to be uh, real soon here, this helper, this one who comes alongside, he's going to stay with you forever. And even though the disciples heard this, I still don't think they fully understood this until the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, it all sunk in. Now we know. Now we understand. Now we get it. Because Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a task that is so incredibly impossible that there is absolutely no way you can accomplish this task without the help of God. There is no way you can do it in your human ability, your ingenuity, your intellect, or anything else. You are going to, it is going to require the help, constant help, of Almighty God himself. And that became a reality in their lives. We talk about the promise of the Spirit. Let me speak about the work of the Spirit for a moment here. I'm going to kind of buzz through these fairly quick, but the Bible says in chapter 16 and beginning in verse 8 and 9, it says, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin 
and of righteousness and of judgment. And then it goes on in verse 9 of sin because they don't believe in me. Let me tell you something, folks. Do you know why the world is so screwed up and crazy? Do you know why people are doing the things that they are doing today and saying the stuff that they're doing? And some of this is incredibly ungodly. It's stunningly ungodly. God gives us a bit of the reason right here. He said, the problem is me. He said, they don't believe me. They don't believe in me. And that's the truth. That's why things are the way they are to do. Let me tell you, you get this country believing in Jesus Christ, and you're going to cure overnight virtually every problem that you can imagine. You're going to cure it. <clears throat> Mainly because people's minds and their heart and their spirit are going to be transformed literally by the power of God. And not only for that moment, but then the power of God is going to come and settle into their lives and move into their hearts. And they're going to walk with God. They're going to continue this with God. So Jesus said, the world is going to be convicted of its sin. He says, you're going to see me no longer. In verse number 10 here, because I'm going to the Father, you won't see me anymore. There's a picture that emerges on this thing, and I want you to capture it just a little bit here. Back in the, in the wilderness, and even up until Jesus' day, in the temple, and Jesus would be very familiar with this, there was basically three parts to this temple. Actually, four. You can consider the outer court. Then there was... There was a part where the sacrifices were made. There was an inner court. And then there was a place called the Holy of Holies. This was a very small room. Probably not any larger than maybe, say, one of our bathrooms or something. A very small room. And it was covered. It was covered. The entrance to this was covered by a very thick veil. And you didn't go back there. No one went back there. Behind that veil were three things. The Ark of the Covenant that held the tablets that Moses brought off the mountain of the Ten Commandments. They were in the Ark of the Covenant. There was a bowl there that held manna. Literally manna. That sustained God's people in their wilderness wanderings. The second thing that was there was the rod that, Aaron's rod that budded. Those three things, that's all that was there. And once a year, the high priest would go behind that curtain with a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people of God. And that sacrifice was offered. When Jesus died on the cross at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon, what was the first thing that happened? After he said, it is finished. That's just not his life was finished. But there was a sweeping, massive change in how we come to God 
And the Bible shows us this because that thick veil, that curtain, was literally ripped from the top to the bottom. And guess what? Everybody could see into the holy place. They could see the ark. They could see that bowl. They could see their Aaron's rod. They could see it all. There was no longer the need for a mediator high priest to take my sins, your sins, your sins, and yours and offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice had been accomplished once and for all. It is finished. Hallelujah. I can go to God. It doesn't take you to go for me, you to go for me. I can go myself. And God will hear. We come boldly before the throne of grace and there we will find mercy and help in the time of our need. That's what God did. That's what the cross did. And the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit makes this real to us and, and speaks into our lives concerning all of these things here. The Spirit convicts the world of judgment. It's... <clears throat> It's the spirit who shows the world it's guilty with respect to judgment. And the resurrection showed that Jesus was triumphant over the enemy of our soul. He's defeated the rule. The Bible says in verse, uh, verse 11 here of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And a better rendering of that would be the, wor uh, the ruler of this world has been judged. He's been judged. Now, is the ruler of this world still quiet? Not exactly. But there is a judgment day that is going to arrive. And the Bible clearly tells me that the enemy is going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. We'll talk about that just for a moment. We have victory when we have Jesus Christ. We have victory, and that victory comes through the Spirit of Christ. Paul says, but I say walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The walk of the Spirit is what helps us make right decisions. It gives decisions, and it gives us empowerment. Walking in the Spirit is a pattern of conduct for all in every aspect of you. Folks, that's not just Sunday morning. That's for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of our week, no matter what we're doing. You can be riding in your tractor and the Spirit of God can give you wisdom and strength and empowerment and help and encouragement and insight in all of that. Don't tell me you don't need that. Don't tell me you planned it all out. That's craziness. The Spirit of God gives us insight and help. You know, when John the Baptist <coughs> was baptizing people in the Jordan River, there was an in interesting and very brief conversation. Actually, it wasn't so much a conversation. It was just sort of mostly John talking. And John, first of all, he said, and you know, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. So here comes Jesus walking to, up towards John, <clears throat> he's going to get baptized. <clears throat> John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
Now, let me tell you something. That wasn't John just dreaming that up. That was the Spirit of God moving upon John, speaking into his mind, into his heart. He spoke. He spoke that this is the Lamb of God that takes away, and that's so important. And then he goes on, and there's the baptism thing and, and all of this. Jesus is introduced by John. He's given evidence that Jesus is the one, and get this, he says, this is the one that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's not just water. It's not just that dirty Jordan River water. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. This is a whole new dimension that's beginning to open up into believers' lives and what we do and how we, how we work. We see the fullness of this at Pentecost, because, which becomes the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Listen to the prophet Joel. Chapter 2 and verse 28. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters. Your sons and your daughters should, shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams. And upon your young, your young men will have visions. And even upon the male servant and the female servant. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. <clears throat> this, this is an all-encompassing thing. And then on the day of Pentecost, with this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this dynamic moment that birthed the church. People running around says, oh boy, these guys are drunk. These guys have been hitting the bottle. What did Peter say? What did he say? He says, this is that. Verse 13, which was prophesied by the prophet Joel that in these last days I will pour out my spirit. And Joel said that 750 years before Pentecost. That's why this is inspired. That's why it has the breath of God upon it. Because it's living, it's a living testament of what God is doing today. Do I need the work of the Spirit in my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Two big reasons. I'm going to give you two. There's probably a lot more. These are just two reasons that came to me fairly quick this week. Number one, the level of spiritual warfare is intensifying today. <clears throat> if you're doing anything for Christ, you need to realize that the level of spiritual warfare is, is, is at times unbelievable. It's vastly intense. We see it in the world. We see it in the church. It is a devastating thing. Satan knows that he's a defeated foe. He knows this. Second, and very closely related, Satan also throws seeds of discord. And some of this at the highest level of our land. We can see it. I read it in the newspaper. I hear it on the, on the television. But he sows those seeds also in the church of Jesus Christ. He sows those seeds of discord in our personal lives. And what is the purpose? It's real simple. It's, really, it's, it's super simple. 
It's to destroy the witness of Christ. It's to confuse the witness of Christ. It's to, it's to jumble up what God wants to do in these last days. But we are able to overcome this. The Bible tells us that. Not because of our human cleverness or strength or anything like that. It's not by merely showing up at church either. The attack of Satan is real and we need the ongoing, continuous work of the Spirit of God in our lives and in our church. The failure in any one of those areas could create an implosion. There's two things that this means for my life. First of all, and I think this is so important, God prefers to use people in his church as channels of blessing, as channels of truth. He likes to use living instruments to help people understand the lessons of truth. Chapter 13, John chapter 13, he says, you're going to know that you are my disciples. How? Because you love one another. How's that working at Faith Community Church? Do we? Not everybody, I can tell you that. We love one another. Because that's how, that is one of the witnesses, one of the powerful witnesses to the world. John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. He says, that's telling me that I'm a person who bears fruit. I'm useful. There's meaning in my life. There's purpose in my life. He said, this is how the world is going to understand this message. That's how they understand it. The second thing here, maybe this is, maybe this is even greater. He desires every one of us to be brought into the image of Christ. And that always requires change. It always requires transformation. We need God's power. Folks, if I try to change on my... Look, I've tried that before, haven't you? Haven't you said... Oh, you know, you come to church and you say, you know what, I need to change. And all of a sudden, you're on this, uh, you're on this quest to change. But if you're trying to do it in your own power, by about Tuesday afternoon, you're pulling your hair out and say, this is not working very good. What has happened? I wish this would work for me. It works for him but it, and him, but not for me. It's because we do this in the power of God's spirit. The power of, we're taking his spirit life and merging it with our lives. That's how it works. Last night I was reading, just kind of preparing and thinking about this message and I drifted into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, and came across something that uh, just intrigues me. And so I hurried up and wrote it down in my notes. The Bible says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and this is what got my attention. Paul says, I believed and I spoke. I believed and I spoke. And I thought about that quite a while. What? I believed and I spoke. I believe this is clearly a reference to the work of the Spirit in our life working. I believe so I spoke. 
Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says this. The power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. I believed and then I spoke. The things that I believe, I need to speak. If I believe that God heals sick bodies, then I need to speak that and expect sick people to get well. If I believe that God is a supplier of all of my needs, I need to speak that. Now, folks, I'm not sure if this is a new revelation. I don't think it is, but it's one that at least... You know, it's like when you're uh, in the winter, you got these, this junk all over your windshield, and, and uh, you got the windshield wiper, and you got the fluid stuff, and you squirt it up there, and it clears it off, and oh my goodness, I can see. That's how I felt last night. We kicked the wipers on, we squirted the juice on the windshield, and I said, oh my goodness, I can see. <laughs> and I want you to see this. I can speak this. I have power in my tongue. What I speak, what I speak is what I believe. I think there are people, Donnelly, could you come back, please? I think there are people who hear this message and, and I think sometimes we say, well, Pastor, I'm not spiritual enough. Well, there is a cure for that, you know. I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not good enough. Um, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I believe God is in total disagreement with you, that you're not spiritual enough, you're not good enough, and all of these are, all the, in my mind, these are all crazy excuses. Because guess what God says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6? He says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, will complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ. If there's somebody here that says, I am complete in Christ, would you please stand right now? Because I want to see you. I've got to talk to you. I am in a process of construction in my life that God is completing. He is restoring. He is tearing down sometimes. He is rebuilding at times and all of this. But I'm a project under construction and so are you. And so are you. Every person in here, we will be complete in Jesus Christ on the day in which we stand before him in glory. Hallelujah. That's when it's going to be. But God also keeps the good news coming. Here's the last part. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, you know, in the, as a part of this process of helping you to become complete in Jesus, he says, I've got a few things I want to help you with. And he says, in fact, I'm going to give you these. These are some presents. I'd like to give you a few presents. I like presents, don't you? I love to get presents. I love to unwrap them and look at them and all that. Well, God's saying, hey, I've got a few presents for you. He says, I'm going to fill you with the knowledge of my will. That's nice. I'd like to give you my wisdom. I'd like to give you spiritual understanding. Paul goes on in, in, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. 
uh, he, he goes on, or I'm sorry, he continues on. He says, I'm going to strengthen you with all power. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to qualify you. I'm going to provide all of these things for you. And you're going to be able to share in the inheritance of the saints. I'm going to deliver you from darkness. And you're being transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. He says, that's all part of the package. And I'm going to give it to you here. Isn't that an amazing package? Isn't that an incredible gift set that God gives to us so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ and walk with him? If, you are a, if you're a Christian this morning and you have, then I want you to know something. You have access to power. You have access to power. But unless you plug into it, you will live your life on your own efforts. That's why sometimes people are like this. Plug into his power. Let me give you two little quick illustrations. I'm going to pray. I love mashed potatoes. Joe knows it. So we have mashed potatoes. How do you mash potatoes? Is there basically two ways to do that? What'd you say, ladies? I need your support on this thing, so I, I'm sort of walking on thin. I don't think it's all that thin. Uh, one, you got this thing, you hold it in your hand like this, it's got a thing on the bottom. You put the potatoes you just cooked up, and you just start banging away on them, smooshing them up. Throw a little milk in there and smoosh on them some more. Presto, mashed potatoes. But isn't it funny? And Joan does this every so often. She has a big time KitchenAid sitting right next to the smasher. Why don't you take that 40 horse KitchenAid, <laughs> plop it down on those taters, and hit go? Right? That's hooking up to power. That sounds like Tim the Toolman, doesn't it? <laughs> Hook it up to power. Hook it up to power. There's power in that mixer. It can, it, can, it, can, it can mush up a barrel of potatoes. It's a simple illustration, but you know what I mean, don't you? God wants you to plug into what he is. All that he is. Everything that he is. And he'll give you, he'll help you to do this. But it takes just a hungry heart. It says, God, I am ready for what you've got for me. And I will not be satisfied until I have been infused with the power of God in my life. Amen. Stand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this uh, opportunity to speak in this service and for these saints of God. I can't imagine that there would be one person here today that would say, I, you know, this is a, that was an okay message, but, you know, it's maybe for somebody else. I honestly believe that every one of us, every one of us need to be plugged into your power 
to your source, to what you have for us, and to, and to speak, literally speak into the life that you bring to us and only you. Father, I pray earnestly in the name of Jesus that there would be the creation of a hunger across this church, across every person's life that says, I want more of God. And before Easter rolls in here, I want to, I want to, I'm going to commit myself to be a seeker, a searcher, a hunger after your righteousness. I desire your power at work in me. I desire what you and only you can pour into my life. I am open to you and to all that you would bring to me. Father, let that happen to every person in this room. Father, we pray this morning for Harold Jansen, just praying right now in the name of Jesus. Surround him, let the comforter come right alongside him to bring him strength, to bring him renewal, to help staff to know what they need to be doing. But Father, I pray for your I pray for your divine healing and wholeness. In the name of Jesus. Let's lift our hands for the blessing of God. Would you do that? Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person in this, in this uh, church. Cause them to have the hunger and the thirst after your righteousness and yours alone. Father, I pray that there would be the lift of our arms that are weak. And when that happens, we know that you are strong. Come alongside people today. Let them be encouraged and strengthened by your love and your care. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today.